right, Three Circle, good morning and great to be with you today at all of our campuses joining us right now. It's going to be a good day as we get into week two of the Achilles Hill series that we kicked off last week. Before we do, I want to let everybody know something I'm personally pretty excited about. My wife and I are going to be hosting a trip to the Holy Land next year. So it's a year from now, as you can see, and we'd love for you to go with us. You can find out all the details about that trip, which I think is going to be a game changer, life-changing, bucket list type thing. Uh, you can find out about it by going to the link that's in your handout. It's right there. Everything's included, so when you go there, it's so simple. Everything's there, so check it out. We'd love for you to go. We're gonna have biblical scholars involved with the trip, some really cool things, and I, if you know the history of this thing, a few years ago, we went to the Holy Land, and it got a little sideways for us, all right, if you know the story. If you're new and you don't know that story, find me sometime, I'll tell you. It's a really great story, um, but we wanna go back and finish what we started, and uh, we, we're working with one of the best organizations in the world at doing these trips, and so we can't wait. We're very excited. We'd love for you to go with us. So we're going to dive in today to Achilles Hill. Why are we doing a series called Achilles Hill? Well, it's, it's a ubiquitous phrase in our language. We use it all the time. We say, hey, this guy's great, but he's got this one Achilles Hill. We'll say our team is good, but they got this one Achilles Hill. And Achilles Hill comes from this ancient story, this Greek warrior by the name of Achilles. Uh, uh, he looked a lot like Brad Pitt, evidently. Uh, if you've seen the movie, Troy, ha, ha, ha. See, see what I did there. So the legend goes that Achilles was this Greek warrior that was invincible almost because his mom, when he was a baby, picked him up by the heel and dipped him into this river. The myth is that that made him invincible. But there was this one spot on him that didn't get the invincible water, and that was his heel. And, of course, that ended up being a big deal later on because uh, in the most famous battle of his life uh, for the city of Troy, this guy pulls back a bow and lets go an arrow, and it finds that one little spot, that one vulnerability that he had, and it killed him. And what we'll say about that is that our little things can become big things, can't they? Haven't you seen that be true in your own life? And so what we did is we looked at this and we said, you know what, the Bible warns us that we have these Achilles heels in our own lives. We have vulnerabilities. And we're not playing mythology here. That's just a story that was made up about Achilles. We're talking real life. And the Bible warns us that we have a real enemy as well, looking for our vulnerabilities, looking to attack us. And what we did is we anchored ourselves for the next four weeks into this verse. We're going to read it every week. You can even memorize this verse. Peter wrote this verse, Peter. Now, Peter can write a verse like this as an old man because when he was a young man, he got attacked by Satan. Several times, but one of the most famous is that before he knew what hit him, a rooster was crowing and he had denied Jesus three times. So he knew what it was like to be attacked by the devil, by our enemy. And it was not mythology, it was real. And he wrote this to us in 1 Peter 5, 8. He said, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Peter warns us that we have an enemy. And like the myth of Achilles looking for that one vulnerability, we have an enemy looking for our vulnerabilities as well. And we have them. And you have some that I don't have, and I have some vulnerabilities that you don't have. But the Bible lets us know there's some that are true for all of us. And it keeps rising to the surface of Scripture. God keeps bringing these up because we all deal with it. So we look at our first one. Last week, it was time. How do we use our time? Time's our most valuable resource and probably our most wasted one. So Satan looks to rob us in that spot. Here's another one we're going to look at today, and it's the area of identity. 
Today we're gonna look at identity and I want you to understand that our enemy will attack our identity in Christ. Who are you? Now that is a question that humans of all time have asked. We all ask the question and it's part of the human experience. We're trying always to define ourselves. We don't know who we are, so we try to figure it out. And if we try to do that on our own, we tend to make a mess of our lives. And it starts when we're born, right? People around us start to define us, the story of our life and family and where we're born and who we are, all of that begins to define us. And, and then outside forces begin to define us, like are you good at a sport or are you not? And little kids get pigeonholed pretty fast. And did I get picked for the team? And am I good at art or not? Did I, am I good at music or not? And, and, and as you know, as you're going through childhood and then you get into your teens, you're trying to figure out who you are. And then as a teenager, it just ramps up and then you're really trying to figure out who you are. And, and, and kids can get off course real fast if they don't have people in their lives pointing them hopefully to, to the right spot. We want a place here at Three Circle where, where kids are defined by Jesus and their identity in him. But all too often that doesn't happen. And, and we all know how this works, right? Because we've all been there. If you were a teenager and then you think, well, maybe I know who I am now. Well, the, everything changes because then everything you built through middle school and high school, now you're going to college. You got to redefine yourself again. And then they're looking at you pounding on the desk saying, hey, you got to declare. What are you going to major in? You're going to pay us 200 grand. You better figure out what it is now. You're like, oh man, what am I going to do? I, I guess I'll do this. I, and we, we're constantly trying to define ourselves. Who are we? Then we leave college and starts over again. We've got to get a job. What are we going to do? And are we as successful as other people? And then that rat race starts of defining yourself by square footage and bank accounts and cars and boats. And then you have kids. You get married. Well, let's do the marriage thing first. You think, well, I've got to define myself. I've got to find that right person because Oprah said so, right, that, that my, my soulmate is out there. And, and so then you marry someone and you're thinking, this will do it finally. Nothing else has ever defined me, but this will define me. Because it's about that time, like even if you were like some crazy good athlete, only like that many actually do that for a career. So even if you were awesome, you're probably not going to do it for a career. So at that point, you, like if you were a great baseball player, you get out of college, you're like, that's over now. So then you go, well, this... I'm going to marry the right person. This is going to define me. And then you marry that person, and, and as great as marriage can be, it can't define you. It really can't. And so you're still searching, so then you have kids. And then a lot of people feel lost then because they go, man, I, I just changed diapers. I'm, I'm nothing but a chauffeur that pays the bills now. What's going on? And that sucks in your identity. And, and what's crazy is the thing that you think takes your identity then becomes your identity. You become a mom and a dad. And then it starts over again because they leave your house and you go, I don't know who I am anymore. I've been a mom and a dad and now they don't need me like they used to. I don't even know what to do now. And so then you have to redefine yourself. And then it gets real weird because your kids leave the house, you're kind of trying to define yourself, and then your parents, who you've been a son or a daughter to, now they're getting older. They may even pass away. And then it's crazy. Then in your 50s and 60s, you begin to have to redefine yourself again. It is a lifelong thing, isn't it? Who are we? And so what I want you to know today is that if you can ground your identity in Christ, which he wants you to do, it sets you free. It gives you something to stand on. Listen, identity is the concrete upon which we build our lives. Our whole life. If we can root our identity in Christ, unfortunately, sadly, many of us are saved by Christ, yet we, we continue to seek other things to define us. If you're a parent, you may extend that pressure to your own kids. If you don't think dudes 
have a hard time with their identity, go to any little league baseball park on any weekend and just observe. Oh, it's there. Still trying to define ourselves. And see, when we do that apart from God, listen, finding our identity apart from God leads to identity crisis. That's what it does. Now, here's what I want to do for the next few moments. We're going to truck pretty fast through this. I want to tell you about two guys in the Bible who dealt with identity crisis and how God helped them through it. And one of them is the guy who wrote our anchor verse. Peter notoriously had an identity crisis and it kept popping up and, and Jesus is going to change him. We're going to do him last. We're going to hit him right at the end. I want to take you Old Testament first. I want to talk to you about a guy named Jacob. And for you to understand what's going to happen on one of the most important nights of his lives and for you to get out of scripture what it means for you, I got to give you the background. So let me tell you about Jacob. So you got Abraham, right? Let's talk Abraham. Abraham famously had a son that he didn't think he could have. His name's Isaac. He almost knifes him on a mountainside, if you remember all that. And thankfully, you know, God's like, oh, don't do that. I'm sure that was a long walk down the mountain like... Isaac's looking at dad like, I don't know, man, put that knife up. Don't ever pull that knife on me. Don't ever pull it on me again, dad, you know. And then Isaac has kids and he has these two boys, Jacob and Esau. Jacob and Esau could not have been more different, but they were born at the same time. They were basically twins in many ways, but they didn't look like each other at all. They're two different kids. And famously, when they were born, because in the ancient world, if you were born first, you got everything. You were the big boy on the block, period. And Esau was born first. And famously, Jacob was born hanging on to his heel, Achilles' heel. You see, I planned this whole thing like this. It all just, anyway. So he was grabbing onto his brother's heel. And now just think about how we get defined in life. And just remember, too, that these are real humans. So let, this isn't Disney. This isn't Achilles and Homer's Odyssey and the Iliad. These are not mythological. This is real life. So Jacob and Isaac and his brother Esau and their mom, they're a real family, we're real people. So you can imagine Jacob grew up getting picked on. You were this close, buddy. We all know the story. Imagine every Thanksgiving and Christmas, right? Well, that didn't happen yet, but you're following my story here. They get together. Boy, we know the story. They said you were hanging on to Esau's hill. You were that close, weren't you, to getting everything, and now you've got nothing. <laughs> real funny stuff. You know how it is. And not only that, they couldn't have been more different. Esau, who is the big boy on the block because he was born first, becomes this stud outdoorsman. He's a big, bad dude. And, and Jacob, not so much. So Esau's outside shooting stuff, killing stuff, big, strong. He's got a huge four-wheel drive Silverado. He, he wears camo all the time. He, he works out all the time. Um, and, and Jacob, not so much. Jacob's a mama's boy. He grows, up. he grows up as a mama's boy. He's inside kid. And he becomes a great cook. He becomes a great chef. So now, that all is defining a kid, right? He probably gets picked on in a male-dominant society like he was in in some way. So Jacob grew up bad enough. His brother looks like this. So this is Esau, right? It's bad enough you grow up, your brother looks like this. Let me tell you what. It's even worse when you look like this. You know what I'm saying? I mean, things are rough. So Esau and Jacob couldn't have been more different. So Jacob grows up with all that, and he decides, along with his mom's help, again, everything else defining him. And you're going to find that on Jacob's journey, he'll, he'll do almost anything to define himself except go to his God. In fact, Jacob's never going to go to his God for his identity. His God is going to lovingly come to him. He's going to finally get him. 
But Jacob's not done yet trying to define himself, so he says, well, everybody's picked on me. That birthright is what will define me. If I could just have that, if I would have been first, that would have changed my life. So there's a way. He and his mom figure out, here's how we'll do it. Isaac got old and blind, and Esau, not exactly the sharpest knife in the knife drawer, y'all, okay? Strong, all of that, but dumb as a rock, okay? And hungry all the time, evidently. And the Bible also wants you to know, the Bible tells you that Esau was hairy, He was a hairy, like, I don't know why I want you to know that. So basically, Jacob's got a Sasquatch as a brother, okay? (laughs) Esau comes in one day starving. Jacob's this great cook. He knows what Esau's favorite stew is. He says, I'll give you this stew for your birthright. Now, brothers do this stuff. So it was like Esau in a million years wouldn't have thought he took that seriously. Now, Now, watch how this happened. There was nothing formal about Esau saying, sure, you can have it. That wasn't real yet. Give me the stew. Jacob used that because Jacob's smart and crafty. Oh, and by the way, you do know what the word Jacob means, right? In the ancient world, if your name's Jacob today, it doesn't mean this anymore. Don't get mad at me. But in the ancient world, the name Jacob meant, number one, heel grabber. So they're like, he will be Jacob, the heel grabber. It also meant, even more negatively, deceiver. It meant one who deceives and one who grabs. So Jacob says, you know what? Esau just told me I could have it. Which obviously isn't for real, but that's his way of justifying it. He then, and if you want to know just how hairy old Esau was, in order for Jacob to get his blind daddy to believe that it was him, he wrapped himself in a goat skin. My Lord, what is going on with this guy? Isaac's blind. Now here comes the formal part. Jacob uses what he knows wasn't real to go in there with his dad and say, hey, dad, it's time for you to give me the birthright. Dad recognizes the voice. He's like, this does not sound like Esau. He says, trust me, it is. Reach out and touch me. He's got a goat skin on. He touches a goat skin, and dad's like, yep, that's Esau. Once again, brother, laser hair removal, bro. Right? Come on now. So... This is the formal part. He prays the prayer and gives the first right blessing to Jacob. That's the formality. And there's no going back now whether you're deceived or not. It doesn't matter. That's it. And when he walks out, Esau finds out about it. And he's like, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. And so what Jacob thought would be, if I just got this. Have you ever fought for something and then when you got it, you're like, ooh, I didn't want this as bad as I thought I did. Jacob thinks this will define him finally and give him what he wants, and it ends up making him have to leave everything he knows. He has to run for his life and leave the region. Esau's going to chase him down. So he's not done, though. The birthright wasn't everything he thought it would be, so he thinks, you know what? I think that if if I'll go work for my uncle, that's what will happen. And he gets to his uncle's place. He doesn't realize his uncle's just as deceptive and crooked as he is. And his uncle's got this real pretty daughter and another daughter. Jacob wants to marry the pretty one. He said, I want to marry her. And uncle says, you got to work for me for seven years. And Jacob doesn't know that he's just as crafty as he is. So he works for him for seven years. Again, Jacob's trying to define himself. Still hadn't turned to God. He's like, if I can just marry this girl, that'll change my life. And he works for seven years. And in one of the greatest tricks in history, the dad somehow gets that other daughter into the marriage instead of the one he really wanted. And so he, he ends up with the wrong wife. And he's like, you deceived me. He's like, well, I, 
I wasn't born yesterday, Jacob, you know? And Jacob says, again, he won't give up. He says, no, I got to have her. That'll, if I can, remember, if I could just have the birthright now, if I could just have her, he works another seven years to get her. Now he's broken the law of God, the marriage laws of God. Like, even though it's not codified law, it will be in the Mosaic law. He knows the way things are supposed to go, and, and, and it's not good, and it's just a mess, just a mess. So now he's got two wives, and, and during that, those 14 years, he becomes wealthy. He becomes very rich. He's built cattle and livestock. He's a rich man. He, now he's got kids and wives and servants and all that stuff in the ancient world, and he thinks maybe this will do it, and not, it's just a mess. It's a mess. And then he finds out Esau knows where he is and is coming for him. And that's where we pick up the story. After all of his trying to define himself, nothing has worked. It's a mess. And now Esau's coming for him and he's got to go on the run again. It's like life has come full circle. And we're going to pick up the story and you're going to see that this is the night he's going to finally let God tell him who he is. Genesis 32:22. that same night he arose and he took his two wives, now you know who they are, his two female servants, his 11 children, crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and watch this, not only them and everything else he had. So everything in his life that he's used to define himself, he sends it across the creek and he stays back. And here's a very powerful statement. And Jacob was left alone. I'm convinced three circle that this is the first time in his life he's ever been just alone. This, the first time in his life, everything that has defined him up to this point is gone. His mama's not in his ear. His daddy's not in his ear. Esau's not coming for him. All of the things that he strived for, riches, stuff, servants, wives, all that, they're all gone. It's just him in the desert. And folks, I just want you to know, this is very, very important. Jacob was alone, and it's going to take you letting go. It's going to take you getting alone with God so that he can tell you who you are. It's never happened for Jacob. He's been running his whole life. He went from one thing to another and one thing from another, and that's many of our stories. We went from elementary to middle school to high school to college to marriage to another marriage and blew that one up and this and that and kids, and we just never have stopped to go, God, I need a moment with you. Life can pass you by just like it did with Jacob, and that not ever happened. And look what happens. He's left alone, and somebody showed up. A man, and in the original language, that's capital, all letters. A man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Two things I want you to see here. First, if you want to find your true identity in Christ, which you need to, it's going to require that you disconnect from the things that you've wrongly used to define yourself. Who are you? Are you the guy who was awesome in high school, but life's been tough since then? Are you the lady who you know what, You've, you decided, hey, I came out of a broken home, I'm going to make something of myself, and that's the thing. And your life was a mess, so you want yours now to be perfect. And your kids, they got to get it right. Are you, is that how you define yourself? Like, what, what do you use to define yourself? You know what, for you to really hear from God, you're going to have to push that stuff to the side. And who is this man who's wrestling with him? It's Jesus. This is what we call an Old Testament appearance of Christ. It's a theophany, is what theologians call it. It happened lots of times in the Old Testament. The second member of the Trinity has shown up here. He will show up one day in human flesh. On this day, on this night, he shows up as a theophany. And he wrestles with Jacob all night long. 
In fact, the prophet Hosea, looking back on it, years later, Hosea wrote what the Israelites believed happened that night. He said, in the womb, Jacob took his brother by the heel, and in his manhood, he strove with God. So it's like he's, he did this his whole life. He strove with the angel, and he prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He met God at Bethel, and there God spoke with us. So the prophets all understood that this was God himself that night wrestling with Jacob. And that word prevail is going to be used several times. You need to know what that means in the language. Because you may think, are you telling me that the God of the universe wrestled Jacob and he won? Prevail does not mean he won. You're going to see he loses. Prevail means he didn't quit. Prevail means he didn't give up. That's what that means. You're going to see it used several times, and that will clear that up for us. So what happens next? So Jacob's finally alone, he's finally to where he can hear something, and God shows up himself and wrestles with him all night long. And in verse 25 it says, when the man, Jesus, saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Now that doesn't sound fair. So when, I, when my kids were little, my sons in particular, <laughs> I don't wrestle my daughter, but, but my boys, boy, they wanted to wrestle all the time. And we wrestled and we would move like the couch and everything in my living room. And we famously, we broken things. We broken doors. We broke a very nice table once. And my wife, she is such a wonderful human. We had to fix it all. There's one door that might still have a little something going on, but it's, it's all good. But when they were little, we would wrestle, and I'd let them come off the top rope, and the top rope was the back of the couch, and I'd let them drop their elbows on me and all, and I would lay in the floor, y'all got me, you got me, but I always knew, like, there was that moment where I could explode. I was in control the whole time when they were five and seven years old. <laughs> do you know what I do now? My, kid, my sons like to jump me when I'm in bed. I'll get in the bed, and all of a sudden, there's a 180-pounder on top of me taking me down. And, and so what I, I sleep with a belt next to me now. I just start slinging and swinging, man. That's a true story. But when they were seven and five, I was in control, okay? And so what I do is I'd wrestle with them and I'd say, come on, get me, get me. But I was in control the whole, that's what's happening here. Listen, listen, the God of the universe is wrestling his child in that desert that night. He's saying, come on, don't give up. Come on, come on. And then when it was time to take control, he goes, it's not fair. Boom, hips out, man. Now Jacob can't even stand up, right? Like, how did you do that? Well, he's in control. He's dad. He's the father. He's, he's the son of God. Write it down. God is in control of our identity formation. Anytime God wants to pull the rug out from under you, the things you depend on, the things you hold dear for your identity, he can pull it out from under you just like that. And will, some of you have experienced this. So God says, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull that joint right on out. By the way, Jacob's going to limp the rest of his life famously. He'll never forget it. And in verse 26, he said, Jesus says, Christ, the pre-incarnate Christ says, let me go for the day has broken. And, and, and look, here's where he's wanted him to get. It's the first time we ever see in Jacob's life him actually say, God, I need you. Look, Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now, don't miss this, because here was the point. What's the point in the wrestling match? My wrestling matches with my sons had no point at all. We were just having fun. This one had a point. God doesn't wrestle with you just to show you he's strong. You can walk outside and look at mountains and streams and stuff and be like, oh. He doesn't need that. 
There's always a point when God wrestles with us. And here's what it is. He will put you on the ground if he has to, to get you to reach out to him. To make you know that you need him. You're not crafty enough to get through this life. You need him. You're not going to marry the perfect person and that define you. You need your identity in him. So look, Jacob did not ask for this fight, but guess what he did do? In the end, he asked for the blessing and that's what God wanted. Who started the fight? God. Jacob's sitting there minding his own business. He looks up and this guy's like, bring it on right now. Come on, I'm coming. Wow. But he'll do the same for you. He will wrestle you down. He will come for you and wrestle you down. Because, watch this, because God loves you so much, he despises that which will harm you. And he'll come for it. And he wrestles Jacob down. And finally, Jacob looks at God and he says, I've tried everything. I know who you are and I need you. I need you to do something for me because I can't make life work. He finally asked God for his blessing. And so what does the pre-incarnate Christ bless him with? How do you bless a man who's already rich, already got the wife? Both of them. He's got everything, but he still has nothing. Look at this. Don't, don't, don't miss how beautiful this is. So Jacob says, you bless me, hips out of joint. Bless me. Which is exactly what God wanted him to say. And here's the blessing. He says to him, okay, what's your name? He went right for the identity, didn't he? He doesn't say, what do you need? He already knows what Jacob needs. Tell me what you need. You want me to bless you? How? How do you want me to bless you? No, he says, I know exactly what you need. I've been waiting for this moment. And here we go. What's your name? And I think God asked all of us that. What are you defining yourself by? You know what Jacob says to him? Jacob, that's who I am. I'm, I'm, remember the name? I'm a deceiver. I'm a heel grabber. I'm second place and have been my own life. And I'm a liar and I've deceived everyone in my life. They're all across the creek. You can go, all, you can go ask them. I'm a mess. And I have made everyone in my life mad. And now my Sasquatch brother's coming to kill me. And I'm a mess. I'm what everybody said about me. I've lived up to the name. I'm nothing more. That's who I am. You want to know who I am? I'm Jacob. And in one of the most beautiful moments in all of scripture, the king of kings looks at a young man who needs an identity. And he says to him, not anymore you're not. You're not your success or your failures. He says to him, no longer shall you be called Jacob. You will now be called, read it, it's right there in your verses. You will now be called Israel. It's the first time the word is used in the Bible. He says, you're not who your mama said you are. You're not who your daddy said you are. You're not who the school kids said you were. You're also not the success. That's not you either. You're also not your biggest failure. That's not you either. You know who you are, Jacob? You're mine. You belong to me. You've always been mine. You are my child. And on this night, if you'll hear me, I will tell you who you are. And you're Israel. You have striven with God and men and you have prevailed. And that's who you are. And I get to tell you who you are. And his life will never be the same. It's beautiful. God doesn't want anything else to define you. He wants to define you. It is a blessing, write it down, to have God give you your identity. Because if he'll give you your identity, you won't let Satan steal it or anyone else. 
and baseball won't define you and the test score won't define you and the marriage won't define you and your kids being successful or not won't define you and the numbers in your bank account won't define you and the degrees on your wall won't define you. You will be defined by Christ, a child of God. And when that happens, you are free, my friends. You're free when you're defined by Christ. So Jacob in verse 29 asked him, he said, please tell me your name. And he said, well, why do, why do you ask me my name? I love this. Jesus said, well, I'm not telling you my name tonight. It's not time for that. There'll be another night in the future, similar. Another guy who had an identity crisis. His name was Moses. Moses, for 40 years, became a smart guy in Egypt, then wanted to be the hero, kills an Egyptian. He's trying to define himself. God lets him sit in the desert for another 40 years, taking care of sheep. Now he's an 80-year-old man. And on a mountainside, another striver like Jacob is standing there and God lights up a bush. Jacob, after wrestling with Christ, says, tell me your name. He said, nope, not time for that yet. On that mountainside, Moses will say, will you tell me your name? And he says, I'll tell you my name. Yep, tonight's the night. You tell him, I am that I am sent you. And then a few years in the future, the same Christ who wrestled Jacob and lit that bush on fire on the side of that mountain will stand in front of the Pharisees in human flesh and they will say, tell us who you are. You're not even 50 years old. And he'll look at them and he'll say, before Abraham was, I am. That's who I am. But on this night, he doesn't give Jacob his name. He says, why do you ask me my name? And he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel and that means I've seen God, not an angel, not a spirit, God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. Now, that's Jacob's story. God defines him. Let's come back to Peter, who knew this story so well and who wrote our verse for us, right? Watch out, the lion is trying to get you like he did Jacob, like he did Moses, like he did Peter. Peter denies Jesus three times. And do you know what the temptation was? Jacob tried to define his life by his successes. Peter now is in great danger of being defined forever by his greatest failure. He's denied Jesus three times. Now Jesus rises from the dead, and one of the first orders of business is for him to get Peter face to face. Peter, I got too much for you to do, bud. You're about to become the greatest preacher this world's ever going to see. You're going to be the leader of the church in Jerusalem. It's too important for you to let the enemy define you by what happened in that courtyard with that crow and rooster and you acting like you didn't know me. Do you remember this? So on the side of the creek, Jesus says, Peter, look at me. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Twice. Feed my sheep. Third time. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. And then he looks at Peter. He says, Peter, listen to me. I define you. I'm, I am I'm defining you, not your failures. And he warns him. He says, you're going to die a horrific death. He says, they're going to lead you away. And because he had just died that way, listen, the Bible tells you that Peter and the disciples knew what Jesus was saying. He was saying, they're going to crucify you one day. They're going to nail you to a cross. And they will. Poor old Peter can't even help it in this moment. And this is interesting. John is standing right there. So Peter's, and he sees John. And look at what he says to Jesus in verse 21. He says, Lord, what about him? 
If they're going to nail me to a cross, they're going to kill me. What about him? What about John? And Jesus says, if it's my will that he remains until I come, in other words, if I want him to live forever, what's that to you? You follow me. Like one more time, Peter. This is about you and me. See, don't, last lesson of the day, don't borrow someone else's identity. We do it, social media does this. You'd be looking on there, you're like, how are they vacationing in Italy and we went to Dolphin Island? (laughs) How do they afford these cars? I bet they got money coming from grandparents or something. (laughs) I bet they're just in debt. They need some Dave Ramsey in their life. We live in other people's worlds and we worry. And you know what God wants? He wants to get us face to face and go, hey, 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 put your phone down, me and you. Let me tell you who you are. I got a plan for your life. I want to define you. In fact, what we did today, would you just pull out those name tags you got? Here's how we're gonna close. If you put your name on here, I'm so sorry you did that. <laughs> I put one final verse, and this final verse for you to look at, 1 Peter 2, 9. He tells us who we are in the gospel. It's a statement. He says, here's who you are, but you are. And there's a bunch of phrases, and I just want you to pick one. One that stands out to you today, and I want you to write it on there. You can wear it out of here. You can go put it on your fridge somewhere you can see it and be reminded your God defines you. Pick one of those phrases and put it on there. I'm going to pray for you, Lord. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. I pray that you would uh, help us to find our identity in you today and set us free. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.